All right. Welcome to today's episode. We have a great guest with us here, a uh, recent but yet dear friend, Mr. John uh, Block. Welcome to the show, sir. Oh, yes, Rudy. Great to be here. Yeah. And uh, John, you know, I know we literally met like two weeks ago, but, you know, we went deep fast, didn't we? <laughs> Soul Connection incident. Thanks to Tiamo and Diane DeVittori. Yeah. What a wonderful, uh, serendipitous connection. And I'm so glad that you know, we got to become friends and, and now having you as a guest on the show. Uh, excited for today's interview for a variety of reasons. And I want to share with our audience here a little bit about your background so they lean in and get excited about tuning in. Uh, one, uh, as an event leader, you want to tune in to what John's about to share because he's actually presented on over 500 stages and has mentored over 1,500 entrepreneurs on public speaking, live events, and also investing, investing in real estate and other alternative investments, which we'll talk about in the podcast He's in, been hired to train HBO and Google. So you've been on some big stages. You've done some pretty big things, uh, including uh, founding a bunch of tiny homes, a tiny house block in San Diego's first ever tiny home village with 25 tiny homes. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can definitely share more about that. Had its ups and downs, a lot of lessons from it, which uh, part of my passion for alternative investing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to be you know, really curious to hear a bit about your, your transition from events or how you've combined events and investing. Uh, and you also have a beloved partner, uh, Dr. Mancy, who is not on with us today, but unless she may come on for a future episode, who is your co-founder for your alternative investors legacy, your education and consulting company that specializes in those you know, high returns and lower risk investments outside of Main Street, Wall Street. Uh, and you are the founder and creator of the Red Pill Experience, as well as the Abundant Tribe Leader. Um, you know, these four, four day events that you host uh, around gathering affluential people in, in around the core values of health, wealth, and sovereignty. So, really excited uh, to have you on the show and hearing all about your experience with leading events. Mm, thank you, brother. Yeah, the Red Pill Experience name digs right into the core philosophy of why do events. And I believe this to be true of anyone who's in the events business. We owe people something original that they cannot possibly experience on Zoom. And if they've experienced some version of this event before, then we owe it to them to step up our game. And it's a high bar to set because a lot of events have happened by this point. I personally have an aversion to hotel ballrooms. Whenever I go into a hotel ballroom, I immediately associate it with past events I've been to. So it's actually harder for the event leader to remove some of that residue from previous events, maybe the way that I've been sold to, for instance, at those previous events. And with Red Pill Experience, it's really calling forth people who are ready to think outside the box, starting with how we do the event. We use mansions for this. We bring in gourmet chefs. And every morning when I welcome people, it's dropping in and then I say a little invocation to call forth the divine spirit to empower us to rise together. And then when we open our eyes, I say, welcome to your red pill experience. This is a nod to the movie, The Matrix, for anyone who's not clear that the context of, uh, there are various systems of control and oppression that stop us from having our greatest health, wealth, and sovereignty. And who is drawn to red pill, which is really exposing the truth are these leaders who are standing for greater health, wealth, and sovereignty. So hence, outside the mainstream of whatever health, uh, big pharma, Western medical system, wealth, like Wall Street's investments, corporations, 
anyone who is entrepreneurial and taking a stand outside of it. That's who we bring together. And it doesn't have to be just affluent people, anyone who is out to experience an abundant life and aligns with these values. That's who we invite to join us. Awesome, brother. Yeah, in the agreement, we were talking about the uh, how things have changed in our current landscape. Um, you're no longer focused on big events with 200 coaches in a room per se, but rather having more intimate, deeper relationships where there's more possibility for collaboration and creation inside of those containers. Uh, love to hear more about you know your mindset and philosophy when it comes to this new approach with events, more intimate uh, type of events, and uh, just where you see the trend is going. It was in 2012 that I attended Millionaire Mind Intensive and, you know, the peak potentials, T. Harbecker, uh, he wasn't one leading as Adam Markell. And I saw the way that they were selling from stage and the way people were rushing to the back as if people were rushing to claim $5,000 instead of spending $5,000. I'd never seen anything like this. And I was just blown away by just how much money was cycling through at the back of the room. So I tried to do my own version of this. And I tanked so horribly, man. Uh, I didn't have as many people in the room as they did, but my first workshop, I had about 25 people there, friends, anyone I could rally together for an evening workshop. And I said, rush to the back of the room if you want to be a winner in life. If you want to be a stuck loser, then stay in your seats. What's it going to be? But doing my own version of what I saw them do over at Peak Potentials. And people just stared at me, irate, insulted, one guy said to me afterwards, actually a friend, Jason, he said to me, I'm never coming to see you speak again. If anyone asks, I'm telling to avoid you. This is a hostile environment you create. And that really hurt because I wanted to help people. I just thought I'm here to unstuck you. That was my rationale. Yet I recognized that I was being inauthentic. I was playing someone else's game, running someone else's race. And a year later, I tried to do the model that I saw as I grew my business and improved my salesmanship. I did an event called Conscious Business Summit, which is kind of ironically named. And I did the free scholarship model. So the I think $97 seat deposits and refundable when you get there. And I had about 50 people at that one. And I spent about four months uh, just working on that exclusively. And then... I made an offer for my $5,000 program and nobody moved at all. And I just got so frustrated with them at the front of them. I lost it. I'm not proud of this at all, but it's real. I just said, why are you not buying? I want to know. Stone silence. Someone says, eventually, because I keep at it, right? Why are you not buying? Seriously, like who will be courageous enough to share and just speak in your truth, right? This is a safe space. <laughs> And then someone said, I don't see the value. And then I'd be like, why not? It was really bad, Rudy. I'm cringing as I remember it. And I was married uh, at the time and my um, ex-wife, Ronnie, was the one running it. And then I just collapsed in arms. I said, I think I'm done with this industry after nobody signed up. And we were in the hole, however many, you know, 20,000 or so, you know, from the production. And having nothing to show for it, I thought I'm done with the coaching industry. And that would have been the case if I really knew what else to do with my life, to be honest. Like nothing has ever lit me up as much as transformation and creating community. It goes back to when I was in high school and I saw all the clicks and the way people just didn't talk to each other. It was like prison only. It was just wasn't by 
race or gang. It was just these arbitrary lines drawn of like jocks and skaters and math people, theater people. And I threw a party when I was in senior year for my friend Bobak with the spe specific intention to melt all these cliques together. And I saw people talking for the very first time, having lunch together and for the very first time, having friendships that carried them through the rest of high school. I thought, well, there's no higher calling in life than to bring people together. So I knew that doing events was going to be part of my fabric. So I just had to do it in a different way and eventually settled on the retreat model. We were talking about how in the past when we were growing up, there were maybe a handful of networks and some cable channels. Nowadays, there are millions of networks and channels between podcasts and YouTube, all the streaming. And what that points to is having smaller audiences. Like 60 minutes can't get the audience that it used to. That's not the game that they are out to play anymore. There's a diffusion. Celebrity is not what it used to. You're not going to have a, a Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt emerge the way that you would back in the day. And that's because attention is so diffused. So it's having a core audience that really loves you and that will show up again and again for what you do. And to that regard, doing retreats, intimate events of say 15 to 50 people, that's really where I believe the industry is headed. Not so much to trying to cram as many people in the hotel ballroom as possible, trying to get 200 plus people. I find that game exhausting and not reflective of really the experience people want to have nowadays. Yeah, well, John, that was a powerful story or a couple of stories there that I heard. And I really found myself leaning in as describing that nightmare situation of $20,000 in the hole, no one signing up, frustrated. Uh, you collapsed in your wife's at the time's arms, ready to quit. And I imagined many people, if not everyone <laughs> listening to this, at some point had a very similar uh, experience or has a very similar fear <laughs> that they're going to experience that. So uh, remarkable, man. Uh, would you mind just kind of going back to that moment and sharing like what carried you through that moment? I know you had that experience as a child or a youth in high school that inspired you. Like what got you through that moment, the ready to quit, but yet you continued? It was truly not knowing what else to do with my life. I think when you're clear on your vision, that some part of you recognizes that you cannot unsee that. There's no turning back. And this is something I know to be true of anyone that I've admired who's really attained something substantial in life. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey. The plan B is to make plan A work. And for me, the plan A was having a thriving business where I'm leading transformational events. That was a non-negotiable. So I always kind of had that in the background. So there was a moment where I said, forget all this. I think that's just part of being human at times. And I went back to my one-on-one -on -one practice. I thought that was simpler. And then I filled that up. I had that game down by that point and was just reminded once again that events is really where we get to shine and i believe so strongly in it too in the transformational space because this pressure on the guru i've known some 10-figure business owners who just burnt out were so sick of their business and just wanted to get out of it i knew a seven-figure business owner a coach who committed suicide and 
I believe one reason for that is because of the pressure that the guru model puts on us. I have all the answers, come to me, learn my signature system, and you can have some semblance of my success. And there is um, a low-grade narcissism uh, to it. And more than anything, this pressure, this presentation kind of celebritizing thing that I don't resonate with. And when you focus instead on tribe and say that, all right, this is a tribe that I'm curating. I'm being paid well to be the leader of this tribe, to curate the group, to be the host, creating the experiences. And you're going to make so many amazing relationships inside of this tribe. Everyone is a leader. That to me is true leadership. Leaders create other leaders. This is something that's got roots in um, Martin Luther King, where it's been said by Michael Gerber, and, and I read the E-Myth, he said that the tragedy of Martin Luther King was that he was not an entrepreneur, incredible visionary leader. And he had some uh, leaders underneath him, yet what it took to really create uh, a movement or a business even that could end racism in America, it fell short versus someone like Walt Disney who created leaders underneath him to carry on after he passed. This is something I feel really strongly about is that type of leadership. And I think a lot of coaches and speakers are caught in their own celebritizing and their own system. And there's a scaling issue and forget exit strategy for many of them. <laughs> and that's what we want to disrupt by saying, all right, you're going to create a tribe that actually has some brand equity out there. And there are examples, whether it's CEO space, a uh, group that I'm part of called Bellwether Alliance. Um, many out there that don't really predicate themselves, BNI certainly, Ivan Meisner's, where it's not predicated on the, the face and personality of any one person. It's about the quality of the tribe. I believe this is what people are craving right now, especially since so many people see themselves as an expert. Yes, there is teaching and guidance that needs to happen. And let's let people shine in their expertise within the tribe. Yeah, so powerful, John. Um, what I'm hearing you say in all that is that there is a distinct disadvantage to the uh, guru model. Um, not only the stress of trying to live a somewhat perfect life, <laughs> but also um, the inscalability of it, like not having true leaders that can run a business beyond the guru. Um, you referenced the Ebenth by Michael E. Gerber. Um, and I remember also reading that book actually my late mentor, Vernon Lavia. Uh, that was the one book that he told me I, I had to memorize if I wanted to have any success in business. And, and in that book, he specifically talks about overly talented people being the bane of the existence of any business. Ah! <laughs> I forgot that. Love it. <laughs> yeah, same point you're making is like, hey, you just, you can't build a business on a, on one personality, right? You have to be building leaders, systems, processes, tribes, things are. Yeah, yeah. So that's what made me think of as you said that. Um, I'd be curious to learn more a little bit about, you know, how you go about building these tribes and teaching other people how to build these tribes around the core values of health, wealth, and sovereignty. I know you do the Red Pill, Red Pill Experience twice a year. And then from there, you lead people into the Abundant Tribe Leader Program. Uh, can you just kind of tell us about, a little bit about that and how you do it? Yeah, RPXP, we host two times per year. It's a four-day in-person retreat. I happen to live in San Diego, and I'm pretty 
meticulous about the event experience. I do uh, have a film background, so I see it as an obsessive film director would be creating it. So I like my multiple site visits and we happen to be fortunate where it's a destination for folks. So we do like to rent large uh, estates in San Diego for it. And the values of health, wealth and sovereignty is what Dr. Monsi and I have come to. Just it unified us on our first date. This is what we're standing for in our own lives and for humanity. Uh, I do believe in that statement about true love exists not in staring into one another, but outwards in the same direction. This is the same direction that she and I were staring and that a couple has to stand for something. Uh, I could go on a separate tangent on this one, the difference it makes when a couple truly stands for something. And then a lot of your disagreements have a lot less weight as you're up to something big. And as we looked to what was missing, health, wealth, and sovereignty, we thought, well, who would be our partners in realizing this? And this is a framework for any tribe leader to consider. What are you standing for across humanity? Play a big enough of a game that you pop up this umbrella or this big tent. I think of myself as a PT Barnum of sorts, where I pop up the big tent and then invite the stars to shine underneath it. There are other people who are also going to resonate with health, wealth, and sovereignty. And I was saying to you in the green room that I'm not uh, brilliant the way that Jesse Corrin or Jay Forsett, who have been two of my mentors are, where I've seen them just get into the skin of their clients and be able to see through their eyes what, how to speak to their particular niche. And that to me is a skill that I don't particularly have. And I think a lot of coaches like I was in the past are trying to play a game that they're not really well suited for. And this perhaps is more of an artist type thing where this is like a vision I have, an expression, and anyone who's a speaker, coach, who has a creative background, this is especially for you, <laughs> where you have a certain vision to put out into the world and you need partners to help you realize that vision. The vision in this case is gonna be some flavor of probably awakening humanity. You decide what is your angle at it. So with Red Pill Experience, we're drawn to this concept, which is a little controversial, of that there are systems of control and oppression on our planet, from government to corporations, mass media, and there's interlocking at the highest levels that stop the individual from having the greatest health, wealth, and sovereignty. So it's through entrepreneurship and the limitless power through entrepreneurship and investing as well that we see that we can unlock the potential for people of having greater health, wealth, and sovereignty through empowering leaders. So Getting back to your question, we have the abundant tribe leader then where folks come in who recognize that they themselves want to lead their own tribes. They align with our values. So we're able to mentor them a lot more effectively than if I had to figure out a niche that I wouldn't necessarily be a part of. Like I would go to every one of our clients' retreats firsthand <laughs> because we have the same values and I'm, we're able to refer to one another a lot more easily as well. And because we're not playing for like big sold out arenas here, we're talking about retreats, then it doesn't take much to be profitable. And that to me is something given my past bombing experiences with events, I find to be essential is that you have to be profitable. One reason I love your, <laughs> the name of your show. Having profitable events is essential to give you the affirmation from the universe that you're on the right path. It's not about how much money, but it does have to be sustainable. And this is what encourages you to keep on this path.
Yeah, thank you for sharing that, man. Um, I'm hearing you say is that profit is actually uh, feedback that you're on a path that's the right path because it's sustainable. <laughs> um, I remember a mentor who I once heard say, uh, a definition for a business is the ability to consistently deliver value into the market in a sustainable, uh, consistent way, consistent and sustainable. And I think the sustainable is the profit, right? Otherwise you can't continue to do what you do, at least not fully, right? Without that. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to ask yourself in terms of sustainability, is it sustainable to be doing these hotel ballroom events? My gosh, do they charge a lot of money coming out of COVID? And I'm not blaming them. I mean, they took some big hits during COVID. They're trying to make up however they can. I remember doing an event for $6,000. This is actually the event I wish I met Monsi. She walked into my ballroom. And this was um, uh, a year ago. And it was a nice hotel in San Diego. And it was $6,000 for the room rental for three days, including the AV. So I was pretty pleased with that. with about 40 people at that one. But then the next one, uh, they clearly had a discussion about not making enough money off my events because they said for me to come back, it would be a $20,000 minimum food and beverage minimum that I would have to hit in order to have access to those rooms. And I took that as a nudge to go in a different direction. And it's not like that's a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. It just did not reflect what I wanted to put out energetically because I knew that it would put a certain responsibility on me to sell if I was doing the lower cost model, which I've since shifted because it's part of the pivot towards really leaning into retreats. You know, I've done music and arts festivals. <laughs> I've done uh, conferences. I've done lots of seminars. And it was really as of a year ago, I said retreats is really where it's at. And some of these things clicked into place in terms of where the industry is headed. And we sold out both of ours that we've had so far. You know, we had a space for 25 at the first one, got 25. A space for 40 at our next one, we got 40. Next one, we're playing for 60. And that's what's going to happen there. And in my consciousness, that's the only way it can go. We have Tribe now as part of our year-long container. So that's part of how it works to fill the room. So as a strategy, you want to have your um, equivalent to Jesus and his 12 disciples as a tribe leader, decide who you're loyal, dedicated fans. I know that Tim Ferriss has a quote uh, along these lines about your 100 loyal fans, I think it is, or 1,000 loyal fans. And that's a different kind of game than, say, the retreat event business. I'd say 12 is a very good number to shoot for. So if you say, all right, first retreat, get my 12 people in and create this incredible bonded experience. And Jesus is a great example because of the unique, groundbreaking, controversial philosophy of what is known as Christianity at the time it stood out to people it was a sense of i'm getting something that i can't get anywhere else that's a standard to hold yourself to as a speaker and event leader and it bothers me frankly that speakers don't hold themselves to that standard that they're recycling too much so we've had so many great visionary leaders to model after jesus martin luther king uh, someone like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs. I mean, you can uh, apply a lot of their unique groundbreaking philosophy and how they've been uber successful with it. And then say, how am I bringing this to the retreats? Because I owe people something they haven't seen before. Is it risky? Yes. Is it going to confront your sense of being approved of and liked by everyone? <laughs> yes. I've got that from childhood, having been bullied so much and eating lunch by myself every day for two years straight, seventh and eighth grade. 
yes, I have this thing about acceptance and fitting in. And what I know to be true is that the deeper you go in yourself as a tribe leader, the more your tribe appears. And when they do appear, the more they will stand by you, the more they feel there's something unique here. I'm going to keep coming back and tell my friends to keep coming back. Mm. Yeah. I'm really hearing that uh, you're uh, committed as a leader, as a tribe leader, as an event leader, to creating unique experiences that people just can't get anywhere else and not just recycling, you know, something from T. Hart Ecker <laughs> as an example, um, but really creating a unique, unique experience and also the power of gathering your your 12 loyal fans or followers and really building, you know, that way, building with the foundation of that small loyal circle. Yeah. I'll give you another example is that while at Masterful Communicator, so that was a three-day event I led a year ago with a, I paid 6000 for that ballroom. And then Monsi walked in halfway through day two during the plant medicine panel. And she thought, why is there a plant medicine panel happening during a communication seminar? I dig this. This is different than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I didn't expect to have a life partner come out of that initial experience. It just shows that if she can have that experience. Others can as well, where I believe in the power of plant medicine. It's been really transformational for me. It's impacted my mindset communication. It fits. It draws me in my heart more, which of course affects your communication. So it'd be remiss for me not to do a discussion about plant medicine there and just bring all of yourself uh, into the event. I think this uh, old adage of don't discuss politics and religion with people has to be contextualized. Uh, I wouldn't say to make it front facing is the way to go, but certainly once people are in your event, you can use these as opportunities to break past stigma, projection, ego, control attachment, and really create more unity in the room. And I would assert mm -hmm. if you are a tribe leader, that that's one of the reasons you're on planet Earth is to create more unity on this planet. So I would say go for those topics and you're right. People will love you for it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I said religion, politics and money. Don't talk about that. <laughs> right. That triggers people. But I get what you're saying. And in your event, you have a container use those as tools to, to help people see what where the opportunities are for them to, to actually go closer together. Yeah, well, it holds you to a standard too of being a masterful communicator and being someone who honors all people. Like if you talk about politics, for instance, you get to honor all sides before you actually get into the meat of what you're here to say. And mm -hmm. that framework, I think, is very useful, just as a quick point here, that if you can be someone who honors all sides of a situation, you can do that with a person then anytime you have a conflict, you are a gift to humanity. Yet it's only because you decide that, all right, I've got something to say about this topic. The cost of admission to enter this particular theme park is that I honor everyone up front and then throughout too. I'm not blaming anyone. I believe there's a lot of value and where people are coming from with this. And here's my particular take. You get to decide what's true for you or not. In that regard, there's nothing polarizing about it. And this is where people fall short, obviously, is that they lead too much when it comes to these topics of, I think this way, I'm trying to jam my 
point of view down your throat. Well, of course, people are going to recoil and fight back against that. We get to rise above that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my mentors, uh, Scott DeMolin, my, my communication uh, coach, actually talks about the concept of the steel manning, being able to describe someone else's perspective as well, if not better than, than they can, before trying to make your point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a skill that he says has been lost or overlooked uh, where we're at today. And people are just so fixed on their arguing their point. <laughs> well, we're bringing it and, back, man. And this is where, as speakers and coaches, we're the Jedi of the universe. I went to USC film school, so it was Star Wars, George Lucas everywhere. And what that imprinted on me, though, is that, especially as I am, where I go beyond the surface of things, like Star Wars is to me not so much about like the special effects what stands out to me is the force the jedi as a way to really bring light across the planet i do see speakers coaches transformational leaders as the jedi of planet earth and we've been too locked up in our bubble basically we have the best trained army in the world that is just behind the castle gates drilling over and over again to each other and not going beyond where there are all kinds of chaotic issues happening in the world and how each person addresses is up there to themselves but we do care about philanthropy is something that we are getting more into now we've had to sort out some of our offerings and so forth but i'm very clear that's part of our path is to take it to the streets so to speak as much as we can and in the issues that we discussed too, I mean, that's basically where most of it happens is inside the actual events to be able to not separate ourselves from what's happening in the world. I think as leaders, we get to draw the correlation between if we do this work, here's how the world becomes a better place. Here's how someone who's starving in Africa could potentially benefit from the decision that you make in your business. Like I said, with a couple, I- looking out in the same direction that's what the mission is so important for the business that's why it's what calls you forward despite those tough times (laughs) bombing at an event (laughs) yeah 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 i appreciate you sharing your higher calling and mission here and coming back to this idea of uh of unifying people and unifying the world and i hear that that's your call to arms as a leader and as a tribe leader to bring people together and and we already have enough separation. We already have enough duality <laughs> in the world, you know. And it's it's this work that that uh, that actually can bring people together, bring peace. So, thank you, brother John. It's been a wonderful interview. Um, you know, as we wrap up here, I know you have a gift for our audience. Um, do you want to share that with us at this time? Yes, uh, this is something I created for the audience here. Thanks so much for listening and being with us up until now, and I'd love to continue the conversation with you. So we have an Abundant Tribe Leader Roadmap, which will take you step-by-step in how to become an Abundant Tribe Leader. Uh, It's something we put a lot of work into creating, and it's our gift to you. You just text this number, 26786, 26786, and you text the word tribe to that number. So text tribe to 26786, and you'll receive that right away. Uh, we do have the Red Pill Experience retreats happening twice per year. So if you're curious about that, you can go to rpxpretreat.com. There's a nice video there you can check out. We also have AbundantTribeLeader.com, which talks about the program uh, overall. 
and has more videos there. And then we do have alternativeinvestorslegacy.com, which is really a next level in terms of busting out of the financial matrix. And people can really radically alter the trajectory of their financial future and their lives ultimately by deciding what they do with the funds that they have available. So we have resources on there and you can book a call with us to pursue that further too. Awesome. Thank you so much for all these resources. So uh, go ahead right now, take out your phone and text the word tribe to 26786 to receive that abundant tribe leader roadmap. I'm going to do it right at the end of this interview because I want to check it out myself. Thank you, John, for uh, being on with us today. We'll be sure to include all these links in the show notes. You can go ahead if you're listening to this Go down the show notes and you can find all the links that, that John just referenced. Thank you, my friend. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, brother Rudy. Together we rise. Together we rise.